0: Well, thank you all again for those of you that were praying with us uh, while we were in Haiti for the past uh, four nights or wait, three nights, four days it all kind of like blurred together. Uh, we talked about this in Haiti. When you're, when you're there, it seems like the days go really slow. And then you when you're here, the days go really fast. And so it feels like we were there longer. Uh, every time I come home from Haiti, I'm a little bit sad because if you've gotten to know me, you know, Haiti is kind of like a second home to me. Uh, I love that country. I love its people. Uh, I love the beauty that you see all over uh, the country. But I knew I was coming home to to you all, and uh, God has really begun to build a, a family here, and it's exciting to be here together with you guys as as we wrap up our series on Grace Affords, and we're discussing generosity tonight, and as we move in, as Josh said, to uh, a two-week series called On Renewal. It's going to be called Renewal. As we look at what does it mean uh, to be a member, a covenant partner, to be a visitor, to sit And be a part of the family of a Crossbridge Church. And we're going to look at our identity and our mission. And we're going to begin to ask ourselves, what does it look like to make our house become a home? We don't want to be an Airbnb, we want to be a home. And so we want to invite you guys to be participants in that. And God has already begun that work. Uh, you can see, as you've been coming here, how many people have taken up ownership. They've, they've got a room, right? It's their own room, no one else is allowed in. And it's a, they're a part of the family. And so you can see it from our band, to the people that help set up, and to run all the different avenues of this church, and are doing many, many more things. And so we're excited to continue that forward, and excited that you're joining us this evening, I'll tell you that while we were there, we had an amazing time. We had an amazing team in Haiti. Uh, the first day, we were painting a house and we pushed it because we wanted to finish the house. We didn't eat lunch till two thirty. We were all up. That may seem like, oh, I always eat lunch at two thirty. Well, when you wake up at like two thirty in the morning uh, to get to Fort Lauderdale Airport, which might as well be driving to Nashville, then you know it's. It's it's a little rough. So we uh, the team worked really hard. Um, we saw a lot of things, and we served and loved and cared for a lot of people. But I'll tell you, and I think I can speak on behalf of the team, we felt uh, coming home that we were loved and we were cared for and we were served uh, far greater uh, by the people that we encountered. And we saw generosity uh, like you won't imagine. Our team was generous to give their time and their talent and their treasure to go to Haiti, but when you go there and you meet the faith and the courage and the heart of these people, you see generosity like we're going to read about in this passage. Uh, people really sharing resources, sharing their time, sharing their talent, sharing their treasure for the sake of the gospel and for the family of God. And so uh, before we jump into 2 Corinthians uh, 8, I want to give you a little bit of a context. And if you, want, if you have your phone uh, or the Bible on your phone, uh, you could pull it out for the ESV version. That's what I'm going to be preaching through. Uh, the message version has a really great—it uh, kind of brings out the text a little bit, so I'd encourage you to read through that. But for this evening, we're going to be looking at that version. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to kind of explain to you what's happening before this, so you're not just jumping into a letter, not really understanding what's taking place. So Paul is the author of 2 Corinthians. He planted this church at around 50 AD. He goes to Corinth— highly affluent, big city. He plants this church, and he spends 18 months there. That's a pretty significant amount of time for Paul, because he was planting churches all over the world. And so he's planting the known world. He's planting this church in Corinth, and he begins to uh, develop and to grow this church uh, into a really strong and healthy church. And I think it's important that when we look and we enter into text that we realize that um, this is not unrealistic what we read about here. I think sometimes when we read the New Testament, I don't know if you're like me, we imagine like this time is like perfect. It's wonderful, right? Jesus has died, he's risen, he's ascended. Many men and women have come to faith. The church is growing. It's expanding all over the world and everything is perfect. And so you look at some of the faith and the actions of people in the New Testament and you're like, well, listen Carter, this is, this is 2016, we're getting close to 2017. This time was much better to be a Christian, and everyone was, I mean, I can't be like these people. See, the reality is uh, we're dealing with people, right? And so because we're dealing with people, we're dealing with brokenness, and we're dealing with a lot of mess. And if you've read 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, you can see some of it. So when Paul left the church, he handed it over to a man named Apollos, and he goes to Ephesus, Paul. And when he's gone, he hears about some things taking place in the church in Corinth. And what he hears is that there's disunity, that some of them begin to question Paul and his ministry, whether or not he truly is an apostle. They begin to not associate with him anymore. And there's a lot of really, really messed up stuff taking place. If you want to see what some of it is, read 1 Corinthians. And you can see some things happening that if you heard about that happening in a church here, you'd be like, Whoa, is that a church? How could that happen in a church? So he writes 1 Corinthians to address some of those things. And he begins to explain to them that you're to be one and unified. He begins to call out some of the behavior and some of the things that were happening in the church. He defends his apostleship and his ministry. And then there's some time in between that, between the first letter and this letter. And that's where things get really bad. The relationship between Paul and the church in Corinth was not good. Uh, There's a letter that he writes called the severe letter. And that letter was written because there was a man in this church in Corinth that was viciously attacking Paul. I mean saying and writing and discussing and trying to turn the whole church in Corinth against Paul. And so Paul writes this letter that we don't have. It's been lost. But he essentially defends himself. And so there's a lot of tension between this church and Paul. And after some time, he hears that the church finally understands that they need to deal with this. They begin to build reconciliation back in their relationship with Paul. They address the man that was viciously attacking him, and they begin to support Paul once again. And that's the context by which he writes Second Corinthians. And so he's writing to them again after they've gone through a lot of ups and downs, And he's going to tell them and encourage them forward as they're continuing to grow through a church. They've been through a lot. And yet God is now positioning them to really grow. In some ways, it's a great transition into our next series to make what was a house for them in many ways, a home. And so he writes to them and he says that he wants them to begin to live generously. And he positions it by talking about some other churches in another area of the world called Macedonia. And what he's going to encourage them to do is to begin to give their time, their talent, and their treasure, give resources to the collection. That's what it was called, where they were gathering together all of these resources to help out a church and many churches uh, in Judea, in Jerusalem, uh, the Jewish church that was struggling because of famine. So this is the context by which he writes. And in this context, you can see the very beginning of the passage. And it's interesting that this church in Corinth is a lot like the city that we live in. It's very, very similar. Corinth was affluent. It was full of a whole bunch of different thought processes on how to live and belief systems. Paganism and polytheism was still ruling the day. It was a culture that elevated money and image over all things. And it also is a culture where it seemed like temptation was around every corner. There was temptation everywhere. That's why this church really struggles with really following God's will, as you can see in 1 Corinthians. And the problem that the church has is that everyone else around them is engaging in these things, and so it's difficult for them to resist. Does it sound familiar, right? Right? Elevating image and money over all things. Temptation everywhere where everyone else just acts like that's normal behavior. Affluent church. Affluent city. Affluent culture. Really diverse. Sounds kind of similar, right? And so in this context, he's going to call this church to be generous. And living in this context makes generosity really difficult. I mean, generosity is difficult anywhere, in any context, for all people, because it requires sacrifice, it requires humility, it requires trust, it requires giving over things that you value. But especially in this context, because in this context, you elevate money and image and status over all things. And so to sacrifice anything is to be really, really different than the cultural norm. And so he writes and he says that in the very first verse, he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. And so he says, as I begin to talk about generosity, I want you to know what's happened elsewhere. Macedonia is another region in the world where Philip, the church in Philippi is, Thessalonica, and a few others. And he says, I want you to hear about what they have done, the way that they understand unity, the way that they understand family, the way that they understand generosity. And he's going to position it in that way so that they come to see what generosity can look like in their context. You see, the churches in Macedonia, as we're going to see, were were focused on expanding, advancing the gospel in their city. Their churches were growing. They were going through, as we're going to see in a moment, a lot of suffering. And yet, they were generous. They had a vision that the church was larger than its particular congregation. It was bigger than that. And their actions reveal that. I want to take a moment uh, to explain something that I had a lot of questions on about Crossbridge and about what it means to be one church. If you were here with us last week, we were not here, so I'm sorry. Uh, if you showed up and you saw the sign, maybe one single tear, um, but you're back this week, and really glad that you came back to join us. We were with the other churches, Crossbridge-Pinecrest and Crossbridge-Miami Springs, on the fifth Sundays of the year, we combine to one service, and we come together to worship together as one family. That's what we were doing, and I want to thank a lot of you. So many of you volunteered uh, your time. Our band was leading in the service. We had so many of our deacons and other servant leaders come and and greet and help parking and serve the meal, and as always, we brought beer, and a lot of you took home, like some of you, I'm not going to name who, brought empty coolers, I'm just going to throw it out there because you strategically knew that you were going to have leftovers. That was a good call. That was smart. (laughs) Now you guys know who it was. (laughs) But I want to thank you guys. It was an awesome, awesome time coming together and worshiping together with our family as a whole. But I want to explain to you why we do that. See, we say that we're one church, but... That can be confusing. Here's the question that I get often. Okay, so we're one church. Does that mean that Brickell and Miami Springs are just satellite campuses, offshoots of Pinecrest? But Pinecrest is still really the, the church, and we're just kind of like a little offshoot on the side, and so is Miami Springs. See, our vision is that we would be a family of churches. Here's our mission statement. A family of churches seeking renewal in cities through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's important, a family of churches. And what that means is that we're not, our desire is not to raise up a bunch of little churches that are all pinned together by one church. We want to be many independent, self-sustaining, particularized churches. Our vision is for eight by 2020 all over the city. But what we want to see that's unique is that we are aligned in vision and values that we support each other, that we share resources, that we care for one another, we pray for one another. Essentially, we want to model what we're going to see here in this passage. That we view ourselves and the gospel and the church as bigger than just our congregation. Yes, we want to grow and we want to care for and we want to serve our city and our neighborhood and the people here, but we have a bigger vision because God shares with us that the church is bigger than just one local body. And so we're going to align and connect with other churches that share the same name, and the same vision, and the same values, and the same mission. And one of the ways that that is very tangible for us, and you're going to see this in the next few weeks, you're going to see our budget for 2017 that we're going to propose. We're going to share it with you. And you're going to see that in there, we are allocating 10% of our budget that goes to Crossbridge Central. Now, what that means, so you understand— Every church that's a cross-bridge church gives 10% of their budget to a central entity that helps churches when they're in time of need, that provides general administration, accounting, HR, um, some oversight, different things that help keep us aligned. And if there's ever a church that's in need, like we see here, we have the ability to help each other out. And so I will tell you that it is not easy for a church plant like us, as we're growing and seeking to be sustainable, seeking to have an, our own independent, particularized congregation, it's not easy to give 10% of your budget away to a central entity. But yet, we believe that if we're going to talk about generosity and we're going to ask our people and our family together to be generous, and as a church, we have to model it too. And so, we're going to give that and we're going to put it into the pot for the family of churches. Even though it's difficult, even though it's scary, because God has called us to model generosity as a church and then to work together in our local congregation to be generous for the sake of the gospel in our city. So that's what it means to be a part of Crossbridge. It doesn't mean that we're not our own church. We are a church. Crossbridge Brickle is a church. And yet we're part of one church. And we're trying to see the gospel go forward by God's power through his spirit, seeking renewal in the city because we're bigger than just one congregation were many. And so, in light of that, that's what Paul is talking about here as he looks at this church in Corinth that is struggling with generosity, he's going to say, "Let me tell you what happened in Macedonia because the church in Corinth was thinking the way that we think a lot, which was like this. Man, I don't have a lot of time, I don't have a lot of talent, I don't have a lot of treasure. And if I start to be generous with it, what's going to happen?" Maybe I'll get taken advantage of. Maybe I won't get the reward and return that I want. Maybe I'm going to have to sacrifice things that I don't want to sacrifice. So I'm going to give, but I'm only going to give a little. Because if I give a little, then I'm not really putting myself out there to really be disappointed. It's kind of like Cold Stone's. Go to Cold. Does Cold Stones even exist? I don't know. If it does, if you went to Cold Stones, you get a scoop of ice cream for $5 and you ask for one more. How much is it? It's like $45. It's like, you know, it's the same idea. You're like, you know, the church in Corinth, I know that we, we think this way too. It's like, you know, I'm going to give the $5 scoop. But if I, if I have to give that second one, it's going to be way too much. They're going to put sprinkles. Sprinkles are $4 for like four sprinkles, you know, how they do it there. So we're just going to, we're going to keep it all, and we're just going to give a little bit. Because if we give too much, we're going to expose ourselves, and that's dangerous. And so Paul is saying that the church is to be generous, and generosity hurts. Giving your time away hurts. Giving your talent away hurts. Giving your money away, your treasure hurts but that's what generosity is. So he says this. Here is this church in Macedonia, because in verse 2, they were in a severe test of affliction. So look at their context. Their abundance of joy, and in their extreme poverty, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So the Macedonians overflowed in a wealth of generosity They've they've demonstrated what it looks like to be generous, but look at their context. What does Paul say? The language says that they were in extreme poverty and they were facing severe affliction. They were in, in this church in Macedonia, one church, many churches all over the place were going through extreme poverty and huge suffering. And yet they were generous. That doesn't seem logical, right? This is how we typically think with generosity. If you don't have a lot of money, if you don't have a lot of time, if you don't have a lot of talent to spare, then you are not able to be generous, right? You have to accumulate enough money so that you can be generous with it. You have to accumulate enough time so that you can be generous with it. You have to accumulate enough talent so that you can be generous with it. We think to ourselves, you know, I'm just in a really busy season right now. I'm booked up. I'm overworked. I'm really. I'm trying to get to this place, Carter, where I can be generous later. Uh, I, my dream is that I'm going to progress in my job, in my lifestyle. I'm going to get to this place to where I have enough money and I have enough time and I have enough talent to then, when I'm there, I can be generous. But until then, I'm only able to give a little bit. I can only afford the $5 Cold Stone Scoop. That's it. That's all I can do right now. And this isn't only true of your relationship to the church. Think about generosity in terms of other relationships. Maybe a romantic relationship. You think to yourself, or maybe you said, listen, I know, babe, that you want to go on a date and you want to spend more quality time, but listen, I'm trying to work to a place to where we can do that all the time. But right now, I'm really busy, You know what we're working towards. We've agreed. So I don't have a lot of time to spare for you. But later, I will have it, and then I can be generous with it. Maybe a friendship, right? I know that you're struggling with loneliness, but right now, I don't have any time to give you. I know that you have a lot of needs. I know that you want somebody to come alongside you and pray for you. I know that you need just time with people, but listen, I, I have my own stuff. I know you're short on money right now, and you're trying to figure it out. But I mean, I got my own bills to pay. What about your relationship to the city? I know the city is hurting. I know the city is struggling. I know there's a lot of needs. But listen, if I give my time and my talent and my treasure, it will really make a difference. So I'm not really going to give it, or will I just be taken advantage of? So I'm just, I'm not going to give it. See, generosity is difficult because it personally affects us. It hurts. I'm going to say this, and you may not like the next few things I say, but I have to say them. Showing up for church a couple Sunday nights a month is not being generous. It's not. Taking uh, your loved one on a date every so often is not being generous. Going and spending time with your friends a few times a year and getting a drink after work or a coffee when you have time to spare is not being generous giving a little bit of money to somebody that's in need or to the church or somewhere else when you feel like you have a little bit to spare is not being generous. See, sometimes our understanding of generosity is off. We think generosity is when we have something to spare so we can give it and be generous with it. And generosity means sacrifice. So generosity means, you know what? I don't have a lot of time. I feel overworked. I'm stressed out. I have really rough weeks at work, but I'm going to make it a priority to spend time with my wife or my husband or my boyfriend or my girlfriend every week. I'm going to make quality time. I'm going to figure it out. That's generous. I know my friend is struggling, and they're in a really difficult time right now, and it's really hard for me to spend time with them because it's emotionally draining. I don't have a lot to give, but you know what? I'm going to give it. I'm going to figure it out because that's what they need. You know, I'd much rather lay by the pool, but I'm going to commit to coming on Sunday night. I'm going to get involved with the family of God here. I'm going to figure out how I can serve and be a part of what God's doing in Miami. That's generous. I'm going to work at giving both time, talent, and treasure to the church before I know whether or not I have it to spare. That's generous. See, Generosity is much more than just giving what you can spare. It's giving before you know whether or not you have it to spare. And that's much more difficult. But that's what Paul is saying here. Is Look what they did in verse 3. For they, these men and women, in severe affliction and poverty, okay? They gave according to their means, as I can testify, Paul says, and beyond their means, for of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part for the relief of the saints. See, they were struggling financially. Can you imagine if you're in that position? You're struggling. You are in extreme poverty. Not just poverty, extreme poverty. You're suffering, suffering affliction. How much time and talent and treasure do you think you have to spare? I mean, when your back's up against the wall and you've got to feed your family— and you're trying to figure out how to get out of your situation, do you have a lot of time to spare? No, of course not. Do you have a lot of money to spare and treasure? No, of course not. Do you have talent to spare? No, you're using all of that to try to get out of extreme poverty, to try to get out of suffering, and that's good. But even though that was their position, they still were begging to be generous. See, the Macedonians were not sitting there eating grapes, getting fanned, and they heard about, you know, the the brothers and sisters struggling in Judea, and so they said, you know what? Here's a pile of gold over there. You know, hey, put some gold in a bag and send it to them. It's not really going to affect us, and send it out. They were in extreme poverty. They had no time. They had no talent to spare. They had no treasure to spare, and yet they were begging to give, and they gave beyond their means. They gave beyond what Paul expected them to give, See, that's generosity. See, we think of generosity um, as something on the floor, right? We give the the bare minimum. It's it's the company that's a billion-dollar company. And they give a million dollars to an organization, and they do a big party, and they have a big check. I've always wanted to hold one of those big checks. Have you ever had? That would be awesome. They have a big check, and they have a whole party and celebration. And to the organization, the million dollars is a lot. I mean, it's generous. It's amazing. It's incredible. But to the billion-dollar company, is a million dollars that much? No. Why did they do it? They gave the million dollars because they wanted to be seen for giving that, right? They wanted to be seen, look how generous we are, we gave a million dollars, and yet that's not generosity. See, when we give out of pride because we feel like we're supposed to, or we want people to see that we give our time, or our talent, or our treasure, we give on that level. And yet the Macedonians have nothing to spare, and yet they gave what was most valuable to them. Generosity is not something that's reserved for those that can afford it. It's not, oh, I can afford to give money away, so I'll give it. I can afford to give time away, so I'll give it. I can afford to give talent away, so I'll give it. Generosity, as we see here, is giving away what you value, not what you can spare. And that is hard because it feels like you're inflicting a wound on yourself, right? Giving away what you can spare is still kind of hard because you kind of want it, but it's okay. If it's something you value, then it's really difficult because it personally affects you. And yet the Macedonians were begging to give. So the question is, how were they able to do that? How were they able to be generous like that? Verse 5 says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. How are they able to be generous? It says that they gave themselves first to God and then secondly, to others. As they gave themselves over to God, they were exposed to God's will and they realized that God's will is that they would be generous with their time, talent, and treasure for the sake of others. See, a a good sermon, a a powerful article, a slick, compelling video, none of those things are going to cause you to be generous. They may inspire generosity for a moment to where a week, two weeks, maybe a month, if you're really good, you're going to be generous. But it's not going to change you. We could talk all day about what we've seen in Haiti, and you're going to hear some of the stories about generosity and the way that you've experienced generosity. Uh, Our team has experienced it in Haiti next week during our life story segment. I could tell you about Josh and Julie who were doing water filter distribution with a man while we were there that was going to provide clean water to him for 10 years. And, and Josh made a comment and said, Hey, I like your hat. And the man who has nothing handed his hat and asked Josh if he wanted it. Right? I could tell you about when I've been going to Haiti and I spend time uh, with these children, and during the meal time, one of the things that you're going to notice if you ever come on a trip with us is that as they serve the meal, the rice and beans, all the kids will start eating it, right? Because it's probably their only meal for the day. Some of them haven't eaten for a few days. And you're going to notice a few kids, are not talking to each other, nothing's happening, but they're saving a portion of their food. Some of them are eating all of their food. Some of them are saving a portion. And then without anyone talking, what you're going to notice is they're going to take their food and they're going to start giving it to another child. I asked the first time I saw this happen. I said, hey, what's going on here? He said, the children know which one of them, which ones of them come from the poorest families. And they know if they haven't had a meal for three, four, five days. And so they share... All of the food, they each portion off a little bit so that the kids that are really, really hungry get more than the rest of them. So you can experience that. You can hear a story like that and you can say, wow, I need to be generous. But it's not going to change you. It could inspire for a moment, but it's not going to change you. The only thing, as Paul points out, and it's true of the Macedonians, is that you have to give yourself first to God. Understanding who God is and his generosity to you is the only thing that will create generosity in you. And it sounds cliche, but it's not. Because you, when you come to understand God's love and his grace and his generosity to you, the only effect, the only natural effect is that you would then be generous to others because you come to see God's will. Last week we talked about the passage in Genesis 4 of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel both give an offering to God. Cain is pretty generous, but Abel is more generous. God only accepts Abel's offering. Why? Because Abel looked at his offering and he gave the first. He gave before he knew whether or not he had anything else to spare. He gave the most valuable of what he had to God. What did Cain do? He looked around, he gathered up some things. Still quite, kind of valuable, but he knew he had it to spare. And he brought what he had to spare to God, and he said, here you go. And God accepted the offering of Abel and not Cain. Because Cain gave out of religion. He felt like, you know what, I'm supposed to give. This is the good thing to do. So I'm going to give a little bit. I'm going to spare a little bit. Abel gave because he loved God. He knew God's generosity towards him. He knew of his grace. And so he gave before he knew whether or not he had anything to spare. And this is what Paul is saying is taking place with the Macedonians, is that they're acting like Abel. And it's the same thing that he's asking us to consider. When you are generous, it is not that you are to be compelled to give because the pastor says so, or because it's the right thing to do, or it's the religious thing to do. That's not generosity. Generosity is giving Because you understand that God has been generous to you. He has given you your time and your talent and your treasure. And we're to give what we value, not what we have to spare. That is generosity. You see, God looked at us while we were still sinners, and he didn't say, you know what? They're pretty good, and they deserve that I give them something. So what what do I have to spare? Okay, I'm going to... No, right? God looked at us when we had nothing to offer him and he didn't give what he had to spare. He gave the most valuable thing. He gave himself. He didn't spare anything, not even his own life. Jesus Christ died for our sake. He gave his life. He gave on the cross for our sin, for our shame, for our guilt. He paid for it. Even though we didn't deserve it. He gave everything that was held dear to him For our sake. And he poured it out upon us. And he said, listen, come to me. All people, if you come to me in faith and you can receive this gift. That is generosity. And when you give yourself to God in light of that, what does it do? It generates in you generosity for others. It's why Jesus says the two greatest commandments. He's asked to give one and he gives two. He says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But what happens when you do that, the only effect is that you then begin to love your neighbor as yourself. Because as you submit yourself and you give yourself over to God and you see his generosity and his love for people, it changes you to do the same for others. And so Paul closes and he says this, grace affords, it supplies generosity. In verse eight, I say this not as a command. He's saying this isn't religion, this isn't like Cain who's giving because he felt like he was supposed to. But he's saying, give to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. He's saying generosity is an issue of love, like Abel demonstrated, like the Macedonians demonstrated. I want you to think about this for a second with me. Do you deserve the the skills and the talents that you have? Do you deserve the opportunities that you have? Do you deserve the finances that you have? The answer is no. You may think yes. You may think, Carter, you know what? I've worked really hard. I've honed my skills. I've taken advantage of every opportunity in front of me. I, yes, I'm sorry. I'm not going to tell you to your face. But yes, I deserve what I have. My skills, my time, my talent, my treasure. I've worked really hard for it. I'm still working for it. The question is, did you control the makeup of your brain or your IQ? Did you control the opportunities that were afforded you? Did you control the country that you were born into with the freedoms and the rights and the privileges that you have? Did you control the period of time that you were born into? Because I will tell you, one of the most difficult things that you see when you go to other places across the world is you're going to meet people like we met when we were in Haiti that have the same IQ, they have the same work ethic, they have many talents, they are creative, they are funny, they are charismatic, and yet they have nothing. Why? Because they didn't have the same opportunity, they weren't born into the same country, It's not because they didn't work hard. It's not because they just, you know, sat there and did nothing. No, 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 The variables were different in their life. And they couldn't control them. And we can't control the variables that we've been given. And so the question is then, who gave us this time, the talent, and the treasure that we have? And what are we supposed to do with it? It's very clear It's called stewardship, right? God has given you and me things that were beyond our control. And the question is, what will we do with them? And the answer is that we're to be generous with it. Paul ends and he says this, and this is what we're to remind ourselves of, because it's the only thing that's ever going to make us generous. It's the only thing that's ever going to make me generous is this reality. Verse nine, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. Paul closes this section of his letter by explaining to the church in Corinth, you want to understand why the Macedonians in extreme poverty and suffering were able to be generous? You want to understand what it looks like for you all to be generous? It's understanding that that god's grace is that jesus christ who was rich he had every, he, he's god he became poor for our sake he took on the poverty of flesh he gave his life over what he valued for our sake why so that we might become rich not financially rich spiritually rich Be, because before receiving the grace of god what were we we were financially we were spiritually poor and yet God has been generous to us. And when we really sit on that and we really think about that, it is not just something we hear every week, the gospel, the gospel, but we really preach it to ourselves and say, God, you gave me everything, all my time, all my talent, all my treasure, everything that I have, and you gave me eternal life in relationship with you. You've given me this family to belong to. Who am I to not be generous who am I to say that generosity means I'll give what I can spare? Generosity is giving what you value because God gave everything to you, what was most valuable, his son. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for me is we close this series on Grace Affords and we realize all these components of a relationship and as we look at the different relationships that we have in our life and we ask the question of generosity— That we would remind ourselves that we are to be generous because God has been generous to us. He has given us so much. And God is calling us to use what we have for the sake of others because He used what He had for our sake. Let's pray.